Um, so with that being said, I am so excited to welcome our speaker. So I actually have the personal privilege and blessing of knowing her. Um, Lisa Martin is our speaker today, and she, her and I, I am, she's my river leader this year. The river is our women's Bible study here at River West. And her and I met probably two months ago now, um, getting to know each other. Marianne, our women's pastor, was like, oh, you're going to love her. And I do love, she's amazing, wonderful, super friendly and outgoing and loving. And she's walked this season already. So she has two grown children, has entered grandmotherhood, and so she's a step above us. But her topic is really timely. Um, you know, she went to Israel a couple of years ago, and coming out of that was like, I want to do something with my experience. And she truly felt the Lord pressing on her to create... I don't know, a, a, not necessarily a speech, but a um, message in joy. And so she's divided it into different parts. And so she has some of them complete, some of it's still in progress. Um, but she's, we're so excited. This is her inaugural giving of the message too. And she's going to give it to us. So I'm really excited. What a, a blessing and a unique um, light we get to have into that. So um, she had a career as a nurse. So she was a working mom. So she knows the ins and outs and all of that of raising a family and working and um, her and her husband just live right here in Lake Oswego after a few different relocations around the U.S. So Lisa, without any more, welcome. Yeah. people to smile. Just give me your best smile. You guys are looking good. High fives? No, no high fives. Okay. So I'm out here encouraging people to smile. He's, he's smiling. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here getting people to smile. Sir, do you have a couple minutes? No, everybody's, everybody's busy. Lost your way, lost your cool, then you straight up lost your mind. Tried so hard to stay ahead, but you keep falling behind. Life is gonna pull you down, make it hard to see. But a little change in your point of view could be just what you need. There's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think you can't smile. Get up and dance, smile. There's a bigger plan, the storm only lasts for a while. So smile. Happiness is wonderful, but it doesn't stick around. Walk in on sunshine, then here come the clouds. You can laugh or you can cry when it all falls apart. But I believe the more you laugh, the more you heal the There's Get up and dance, smile There's a bigger plan and you 
Okay. You win. <laughs> that was awesome, bro. Good morning. How did that song make you feel? I saw some smiles out here lighting up, some not as much as others. And I actually even saw one gal shrugging her shoulders, getting the rhythm of that beat. Sidewalks Prophets is the name of the group that sang that song. And it's simply entitled Smile. And I think it did exactly what I'd hoped it would do for you this morning. And some of you, it made you smile. Now, did you notice in the video, the band lead band singer, I made my own little happy space, but he was going around. Did you notice he like, hey, smile. I'm getting out here, getting people to smile, smile. And did you guys notice how people were kind of backing away from him, going around him, doing no, 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 no. Not, 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 not today. And he was like, yeah, people are too busy. Tried to high five people. They just were on their way. And at the end, there were a couple women who he actually did get to have smiling. And then as they played ping pong, you know, uh, when I first saw that video, I started saying, you know, I don't get what the connection between smiling and ping pong is. When I grew up, we did have a ping pong table in our garage. And I would say that there was this 10% to 90% ratio. 10% of the time, I actually got the ball over the net and scored a point. And then the rest of the 90% of the time, I was chasing that ball around the garage floor. Do I have anybody who can relate to ping pong like that? Yeah, there's a few hands. So I really began to think, how does ping pong and smiling, that 10% and that 90% have anything to do with each other? And I thought to myself, I think there is a really great analogy. I think that many of us in this lifetime or in any given given day, we probably spend 10% of our time in any day smiling. But we spend 90% of that time wearing frustration on our face. Maybe there's stress. And in some cases, not any expression at all. Now, the message behind this really upbeat anthem is that you need to count your blessings and choose joy, even in the most difficult times of your life. The uh, BADS lead singer, David Frey, who had the happy face, he explains it this way. In tough times, you can either wither away in fear and doubt or you can go confidently into every new challenge of your life. When you hold on to Christ and you hold on to his promises, according to David Frey, there is always a reason to smile. Good morning. As Stacy said, my name is Lisa Martin, and I just want to say just how, you know, thrilled I am and what a privilege it is to stand up here before you and to share this message that God placed on my heart. And it's been about two years, so it's certainly been in the making. And God just really shared with me that he really wanted me to communicate a message where you, beautiful women, purposefully, and I would bold that if I had it on a screen, bold, purposefully, that you would choose joy as you live out your life in what's becoming an increasingly divided, angry, hard, chaotic world. 
Now, under God's direction, I developed, as Stacy said, this four-part series on how to choose joy in your life. And I believe it will positively impact your physical, your emotional, your mental well-being. All at the same time, it will transform your spiritual life if you choose joy. So now, during the next 45 minutes, I plan to share with you a number of things. I think it's always really great to share when you're with people what your plan is. What's the goal of this today's message? First of all, I want to tell you what joy is, where it comes from, how to make it part of your life, and the ultimate reward that you'll receive if you do choose joy purposefully in your life. So let us pray. Dear Father God, what a beautiful morning you have provided for us to be here together. And all the, here we are at this woven together group where young mothers are tethered to uh, more seasoned women. But ultimate Lord, it's just a beautiful day because we are woven together with you. Our hearts are woven together with you. And we come here and we just give thanks that we have this time of refreshment to relax to fill our hearts and our minds of something so beautiful as joy that you give us so freely. So Lord, I pray that it will touch the hearts of this woman, the message that you have prepared for them and for a time as this. So we invite you here to be a part of this morning. And um, I especially ask that you be with me. In your holy name we pray, amen. Now, before we get started, I really want to encourage you women. I've been in the audience at times and I've, you know, madly want to take notes. They're going to say something really special and important. Well, I hope I do. But I know you're busy women and I know you've, you know, have your, maybe some of you have your children downstairs. I would love it if you would just sit back, relax, and soak up this message. I hope that there's something wonderful and maybe there'll be things you've already known. But um, if you are a note taker and that's how you process, feel free, go ahead. No, no problem, no judgment. I think it'd really be nice if I shared a little bit about who I am and why I'm even up here. Um, and I'm gonna take you all the way back to when I was born. So you're gonna be here for a few hours. So <laughs> I will hyperspeed it, but... I grew up in Sacramento, California in a very loving home of my mom and dad. And I was the younger of two sisters. And we were raised in a church family. We went to church all the time. And we were raised Lutheran. And so I was baptized Lutheran. I was confirmed Lutheran. I got married in the Lutheran church. And um, I was a comp I'm competitive. And I have a friend here that knows when I play games, I'm very competitive. And I was a competitive younger sister. And so I did one thing more than my older sister did, and that was I went to a Lutheran university. So I, I'm deep in the Lutheran church. And um, I would tell you that I do not have a powerful born-again story. Rather, my faith journey really closely resembles the tortoise in the tortoise and the hare children's fable. You know, I learned Jesus loves me, this I know, as a young little girl. 
And as a teenager, I attended those weekly confirmation classes that I dearly hated that lasted three hours on a Wednesday when everybody else was having fun. But I am so grateful now that I did that because it really did lay the groundwork for much of what I believe today. I don't recall a time in my life that I didn't believe in God But I know there are many times in my life that I wasn't walking really closely with the Lord. It was really after the birth of our first son, Stuart, that I really started to cultivate a personal relationship and today would call it a friendship with Jesus that continues and will until the day I die. But like the tortoise, my journey has been slow and steady. Um, Ecclesiastic, I think, gives a wonderful verse that uh, describes my faith journey. In Ecclesiastes 9, 11, it says, the race is not to the swift. And I've learned that my relationship with Jesus is going to be one that is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. My youngest son just completed, he was a runner. He did, he he ran in college and he just completed a full Ironman. And I don't know how many women here really know what an Ironman is, but it's uh, pretty intense. You do two miles of swimming, you do 112 miles of a bike ride, and then you do a full marathon. And it is intense, it's tiring, but it lasts a whole lot, it's a long time. And that's what I think with my life with Jesus is that I want my relationship to be a marathon. I don't wanna get out there fast and furious and then peter out. So it's going to be a marathon. I have a picture up here of my family, and um, in the middle is my husband and I, and I met my wonderful husband, who on most days, I say is the love of my life. (laughs) Not always, but most days. And next year, we will be celebrating 40 years of marriage. We have two wonderful grown sons. Um, We have on... uh, Alex and Hannah, and then on the other side is Stuart and Audra and our adorable grandson, Sawyer. So I am blessed with this uh, wonderful family. I'm also a breast cancer survivor. And um, I just celebrated 11 years of survivorship this past May. I come from a long family history of breast cancer. Uh, My grandmother died of it. My sister had it at age 30, and I got it at age 50. And after I was diagnosed, it was determined I'd had multiple um, uh, lumps that uh, I really would choose to do a double mastectomy. On surgery, my husband brought me a gift. And I was laying there thinking, oh my gosh, I think this is gonna be jewelry. (laughs) After all, I had just had my breasts cut off. I had big drains coming out of my armpits and I was in considerable amount of pain. And I thought to myself, if this is not a jewelry making moment, I don't know what would be. Couldn't get any better than this, huh? So he gives me the gift and I unwrap the gift. And yeah, I didn't get any jewelry. Nope. I got a t-shirt. Yep, that's me. I got the (laughs) t-shirt. And yes, they're fake. And I don't know if you can see below, but it says, my real ones tried to kill me. (laughs) And I looked at that t-shirt and I would say, you know, as someone who loves to laugh, my husband knows, and a lot of times it's the inappropriate laugh when it's stress time, but he knew that I love to laugh and he wanted to bring humor 
to a situation that he knew had a, you know, it was really hard. He needed to bring levity to a difficult time. And I'm pretty sure when I look back now that that t-shirt brings me a whole lot more joy and laughter and a smile than any piece of jewelry ever could. It made you guys laugh. (laughs) And truthfully, all kidding aside, I am eternally grateful for the fact that I am a survivor. Um, You know, that's not the case for every woman who gets this disease. So I am very thankful. By profession, I am a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for 39 years, and I've worked in many genres across the medical field. I started out in med surge, went to pediatrics. I spent seven years on a trauma-intensive care unit, which really was intense and difficult work. I spent a little time in family medicine, and then I spent the bulk of my remaining 15 years as a, in a women's health clinic. Now, back in 2003, uh, I was actually in this church. We belonged to Our Saviors. And I was on a committee with uh, one of the guys on my committee was Dr. Uh, Jim Chestnut. And um, he worked in an outpatient family clinic, and he knew I was a nurse. And he told me that their clinic was looking for an advice nurse. And I'm like, an advice nurse? I don't even know what that is. Hadn't ever even heard about one because I'd worked in-house hospital. And Dr. Chestnut said, I think you would be great in our clinic. And I think you would be really good at giving advice. Yeah, I think so. I said, the funny thing is that he had no idea of what he was saying. And so in order to tell you what I did, I want to take you back to the 1970s. Now, in the 1970s, um, we had this thing called a paper boy. He actually had a, like a little bicycle with a basket in the front and he would throw the paper up on the steps and my parents loved papers. And so um, after they were done reading the paper, I would grab it and I literally um, loved two things in the newspaper. The first one was Ann Landers. Many of you young women do not know who Ann Landers is, but she had an advice column and she, people would write in to her column and ask for advice. And she had, um, I think there's a slide of her, but there we go. Do you guys remember her, some of the older gals in here? People would write in with their questions, their problems, and Ann Landers would give advice. And what I would do when I was young, um, my mind went too much, I think, was that I would read the, the question, and then I would try to figure out what I would tell those people. And then I would go listen to and read Ann Landers and find out what her answer was and to see if we had all matched up. And as soon as I would be done playing that game, I would go to the next column over and on the column right beside Ann Landers was this gal. Her name was Irma Bombeck. And Irma Bombeck, uh, for some of you uh, that you know, may not have known who she was, she was a humorist. And she wrote hilarious stuff. And she's got a book out there that, um, she's got a number of books I would recommend. They're just so funny. And this little ditty she put, this is the one of the ditty. She had many of them. But this is the one that I thought maybe some of you women would really enjoy. Get There we go. My idea of housework is to sweep the room with a glance. Don't you wish we could clean our rooms with a sweep? But that's the kind of thing Irma did. You know, she actually was so fun. Both Ann Landers and Irma Bombeck influenced my life. 
I credit Ann Landers for in, you know, helping me cultivate a uh, interest and desire to give advice and I'll say solicited and unsolicited at times. Trying to work on the unsolicited. And for Irma to help me to see the humor in just the ordinary things of life. Women, there are so many things that are funny that happen in your life. You just have to notice them. They really will tickle you if you just kind of uh, maybe not take things so seriously. Now, back in 2003, when Dr. Chestnut asked me if I would become an advice nurse, I said this. So let me get this straight, Jim. You want to hire me to give people advice. And you say people are going to actually call me and ask me for my advice. And they're going to take my advice. And they're going to pay me to do this. And Jim's like, yeah, Lisa, that's pretty much how it goes. And I'm like, sign me up. Ann Landers in the, you know, nursing field. So I became an advice nurse. And for the last 15 years, I spent um, at Women's Health, and I was an advice nurse, and I was also the lead nurse uh, for a large women's outpatient clinic. I will tell you that I worked hard for those 15 years, crafting, developing, and perfecting the art of advice giving. I found that if you're going to give advice, you better have a number of things um, really in your back pocket that you can pull from. First of all, you have to have credibility. And in my case, I had to have a license. I couldn't just go into my uh, profession and give out any kind of advice. I had to actually have a license to do so. I believe if you're going to give advice, you have to have a relational personality with strong communication skills. Patients need that if they're going to listen to what you have to say. You have to have a strong knowledge base about what the advice you're giving In my case, I had to have the advice I gave out to our patients had to be rooted in in strong and proven medical practice. You have to exude confidence when you give advice. You know, if I had patients calling and saying, what do I think? And I said, well, you know, I don't know, you could do this, you could do that. Well, I don't know, let me think about it. I don't know. What do you think you should do? You know, those people probably hang up on me and say, "I'll, I'll go talk to somebody else. So you have to exude confidence. You also, at the very end of every conversation, you have to offer somebody a form of encouragement. So it is my intention today, when I start this series, that um, I will do all those things, that I will show credibility, that I will be relational, that you feel like I have some knowledge about what I'm speaking of, and that I give some kind of confidence in what I'm saying, but more importantly, I want you to leave here feeling encouraged. So now, why am I up here? I'm going to say this three words. God only knows. (laughs) Truly, God only knows. In the summer of 2018, this kind of the, the beginning of the summer of 2018, it had really come to my attention that, um, I was in a very difficult working situation. My manager and I were not seeing eye to eye. And things were really coming to a point where it was really uncomfortable to go to work. I'm going to be transparent here and tell you I'm ashamed of myself when I tell you this. But I would drive to work in those latter days and I would grab the steering wheel. And it was always my morning prayer time. And I was driving down the freeway and I would grab on and I would say, Lord, you just need to fire her. She is making my life miserable. 
I would say, you know, I don't want to come to work. It's hard. I'm cranky before I even get to work. And I said, I've had cancer. Cancer loves stress. I'm under a lot of stress. You need to do something. Fire her. And um, I'm going to tell you, it happened a couple times. And really, I think, you know, the Holy Spirit just tapped me and said, really, Lisa, that's what you're going to pray for. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's really not a good prayer, is it? All right, let me rethink that. Okay, I've got it, God. Rescue me. Just rescue me, Lord. And it's amazing. When you ask God to do something for yourself, not to harm somebody else, but for yourself, how he comes through for you. And one night I was laying in bed. Dave, my husband, was at a uh, business area. He's out of town, actually. And in the middle of the night, God really spoke to me. And he came to me and he said, you know what, Lisa? I'm giving you permission to quit your job. It's time. And you are being rescued. But I have a few things I want to share with you. First of all, I want you to remember that what your father, your earthly father, always told you, and that was you get further with sugar than you ever do with vinegar. I want you to go out on a high note. Hold your head up high. Be gracious when you leave. And then he said, you know, as soon as I heard that, all of a sudden, my soul just sang out. Now, girls, I cannot sing. I can't carry a tune. But I'm going to tell you, this is what my heart's saying. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Tears were running down. I'm not even awake, girls. But it's a vivid And joy came, and I went to my boss that next day. Or, excuse me, I didn't. Dave walked through the door the next day, and he says, how are you doing? What's going on? I said, God gave me permission to quit my job. (laughs) What do you think? And he's like, well, that's kind of different than what I thought. But, you know, after discussion, he said, you know what, Lisa? Far be it from me to interfere with God. And, yes, you've been unhappy. I think it's what you need to do. So it was with God's permission and my husband's support that I left and stepped down from my job. I came home and I spent the next year and a half enjoying life, doing household projects. Um, We were getting preparing for one of our son's wedding and we traveled abroad. And in the fall of 2019, my husband and I did travel abroad and we went to Israel and Jordan. And it was a magnificent, beautiful trip where we really saw where Jesus did his ministry And we got to see where many of the patriarchs lived. We saw where Noah um, looked out into the promised land. It was just spiritually uh, renewing, and we just loved it. Came home from that trip and spent some time in prayer. And I said, you know, Lord, I've been really kind of, I've done all the things I kind of wanted to do, the fun stuff. I want to do something that will further your kingdom. I don't know what it is. And please, Lord, I'm kind of bossy. Please, Lord, don't make it nursing. I've already done that. I don't want to do that again. And so um, I didn't know what it would be. But during some of those mornings of dedicated prayer, the Lord really spoke to me. And he said, you know what, Lisa? I want you to use your laughter, your fun sense of humor, and your joy-filled spirit to further my kingdom. Well, if you've ever been in prayer and your jaw drops, it's kind of like a jaw drain. Really? And I got to tell you, um, it was, it spent a little time before God convinced me that this is what he wanted me to do. So it is with humility and nervousness. 
the endorsement of a lot of uh, family and friends, my joyful spirit, and a law of God's abundance guidance that I step into this new arena that is truly what I call, this is girls, my first rodeo as an official guest speaker. So have you ever heard that saying that says, God says, you know, God doesn't call the equipped, rather he equips those he call? Well, ladies, I'm counting on God that he has equipped me to deliver this message and that it goes well for both me and you. That's what I'm hoping for. So let's get started about joy. First of all, we got to talk about the fundamentals of joy. Webster Dictionary, it's always great to define the word so everybody knows. A Webster Dictionary defines joy this way. It's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing one's heart desire. It's an expression, uh, an emotion, and it's a state of happiness and bliss. Now, that's what the world says joy is. Did you hear, did you really capture that, that it's really about, you know, good fortune, success, and getting what you want? That's what the world tells you is how you're going to get joy and why you should have joy. And if you don't have those things, well, you just can't have that joy. Biblical joy, though, is what we're going to be talking about today, because we know the world's joy is fleeting, and it's all temporal. But biblical joy is this. It's actually got a definition of its own. Biblical joy is a good feeling, just like Webster said, but it's not by owning something or possessing something. It's a feeling that is produced by the Holy Spirit, and it causes you to see the beauty of Christ in the word, in the scripture, and also in the world. Biblical joy is your ability to respond to your external circumstances, whether they're wonderful or they're in the tank, with an inner contentment and satisfaction, because you know that God is going to use every circumstance that you're in for his glory and to work out his will in your life. Biblical joy is a, the result of a Christ-centered life. Now, I don't know if you know this, but joy is found 155 times in the Old Testament and 63 times in the New Testament for a grand total of 218 times. I'm thinking, girls, that that means it's kind of important. It's that many times in the Bible, so take heed. It's important. Joy is a condition of your heart. It's a calm delight in all circumstances. And I wonder if you guys know this. Joy is power. Have you ever thought of that? Actually, the more joy you have, the harder it is for Satan to get a stronghold in your life. And you girls know this. He would love nothing more than to get you a stronghold in your life. And you have power over Satan. If no one's ever told you that before, I'm here to tell you, you have power over Satan in your life. Joy and enjoying your life are God's will for you. Has anybody ever, or have you ever thought to yourself, am I in God's will? I wonder if I'm doing what God wants me to do. God's will encompasses a lot of things, but you know what? Joy is one of them. So if you can and keep joy in your life, you are in God's will. 
Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're told in Galatians 5.22, when Paul tells us that he names out the seven attributes of uh, the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We have love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is a new verse that I was unfamiliar with when I was doing um, some of the work on this project. Um, Right after that um, verse in 522 in Galatians, in 525, Paul says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. So you know, keeping in step, walking with them, not way out in front and not just kind of lagging behind, but literally keeping step with the Holy Spirit. It's maintaining that rhythm. And the Apostle Paul knew that if we kept in step with the Holy Spirit, that the fruit that he had mentioned earlier would just be, would grow and mature and actually become part of the natural part of our lives. Have you ever walked with another person who has either longer or shorter legs than you? What happens? Hmm? Here's modern Mary and Martha. And there they are out for their little walk. And do you notice that one of them has real long legs and the other has a short? Well, no doubt when you walk with somebody who has longer, short legs, somebody's got to give. Somebody's got to go faster. Somebody's got to go slower. And I bet throughout our lives, probably more than we ever care to actually admit, we find ourselves out of step with the Holy Spirit. We're out of sync. And you know that actually... Life circumstances have a great way of interfering with that rhythm of the net with the Holy Spirit that we truly desire. And when this happens, it really can impact one's ability to smile, to laugh, and to even experience joy. I want to share a personal story, which I believe is a good illustration of this point from my life. In 1999, my husband and I, we were living in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and we decided to open up our own business. And it was something my husband had a dream about um, in terms of wanting to own his own business. And we had an opportunity to come out here to Portland, Oregon to do that. And we started our own company from the ground up. It's called Greenfielding. We didn't buy a company. We started it from scratch. And within five years... We were doing really well. In fact, we were rated number 19 out of the top 100 privately held companies in all of Portland. We were excited. We were encouraged. We were just, you know, everything was going well. And then things change. And in 2008, we all know what happened that year. The recession came. The landscape of our country changed. We were a building products company. And we went from customers in our door, construction workers and all kinds, to nobody coming through our doors. And as we tried to struggle to keep those doors of our company open, in 2010, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and faced an unknown future. And my husband was worn out. And by 2011, we finally decided that we needed to pull our company off life support. And as a former trauma nurse, I can't tell you how many times, more than I really want to mention, that I went with doctors to tell their family that their patient, their loved one, 
no longer would be able to survive without a ventilator and needed to be pulled off. It's heart-wrenching. And you'd see these families grieve, and it was just more than they could take. And to actually do it and know that that patient's dying is really hard. And I can tell you, it felt every bit to Dave and I like that. We pulled, we had to pull the plug and we had to close our doors. And I would tell you if, you, if I said that we were disappointed, that would be an understatement. That was our future. We put all of our sweat equity into it and um, we were devastated. We, we grieved the loss of something that we had built up. So with that closing of the doors, I went from part-time work to full-time work. Of course I did. My husband came home and had to kind of reinvent himself at the age of 54. But I'm here to tell you that I have a very resilient husband, and I am really proud of him. You know, those life events took a big toll on him and us. He had a lot on his plate. And between 2008 and 2013, I really noticed that my husband could not smile or laugh. That little kind of fake smile that people give out or that ha ha ha. We'd have dinner, people over dinner and I could just see, you know, he was trying to be happy, but it was hard. And I was really concerned. And frankly, I just said to him, you know, you've become so serious and you're not the man who used to make me laugh so much. We used to laugh a lot and I miss that man. Now, anybody that knows me, there's a few of you, my dear friends out here in the audience that know this, that um, I can do some really crazy things. And this is one of them. I said to my husband, we need to teach you how to smile again. If you don't do it, girls, if you, you know, it's that whole thing, use it or lose it. So we're going to train you back on how to smile. And I actually, at the kitchen counter, had smiling sessions with my husband. I'd make him smile. And I'd say, give me that laugh. You know, and he'd, he'd go, this is ridiculous, Lisa. I said, nope, we're doing this. Come on, smile. And, he'd, and you know what? By doing that, he started laughing and smiling just because it was absurd. Perhaps some of you are where my husband was back at that time, where smiling or laughing is really kind of hard. It would not surprise me one bit. After all, we've had some two really hard years in our country and I'm sure in your life. You know, we had a pandemic. We watched in that pandemic people lose their jobs. People uh, faced financial instabilities. We had school closures. We had children care, uh, child care issues for working parents. We were isolated from many of our elderly loved ones. Some of you even lost loved ones during that time, and you didn't get to be by their side. Just here in Portland, we had riots in our downtown. We had those natural disasters of those fires last summer. Well, the summer before. Um, We had election chaos. We had ice storms. The list goes on, and that doesn't even include what you women have been dealing with in your own private life. Now, considering all that, I think the verse John 10.10 actually really comes alive and real. And this is what it says. Jesus warns us in that verse, the thief, that means Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And boy, doesn't he. In my opinion, Satan's kind of been in overdrive these last few years. 
And wouldn't it be awful if Jesus just left us with that message that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's all he said? But Jesus doesn't. He finishes that verse off with the good news, and he says this, I came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to full until it's overflowing. That's what Jesus wants. You know, Jesus in that one verse clearly delineates himself to Satan. Satan, steal, kill, and destroy. He's a life taker. He would love nothing more than to take you all out. He, he wants you on team Satan. But Jesus says, no, I came so you can enjoy life and have it in abundance. Jesus is a life giver. Charles Sturgeon, I don't know how many of you are familiar with him. He's an old English preacher and renowned author from the mid-1800s, and he's written a lot of good stuff. And he says this, God gave us his promises and asked us to trust those promises. You know, God made his promises suitable for times of storms and high seas in our life. And he dislikes it, Christ dislikes it, when his people publicly profess him and then not use him. How many times do you think you've got Jesus, but do you call on him? Do you ask him for help? Or do you just say to your friends, I've got Jesus? Charles Sturden offers this advice. Don't treat God's promises as something to be displayed on a museum shelf and then never use them for your everyday comfort. So there's a truth that I'd like to share with you. God did give us his promises for life difficulties and he wants us to use them for everyday comfort. He gave us the Bible. And I'm gonna tell you gals that God's promises, you may say, well, I don't know. They read the Bible, I'd have to search them all out. I'm giving you a cheat sheet. It's like the cliff notes. Google search them. It's easy. There's a whole list in Google that you can find of God's promises that will fit for your life situation at any given time. So right now, I want to take joy off of that, that museum shelf, and we're going to have a little spiritual spa, us girls, that's going to indulge us in some comfort for our souls. So I have a question for you gals, probably for the older gals in here, because we have a lot of gals that may not need to know, have this, but how many of you ladies would like to look younger and it not cost a dime or be painful? <laughs> hey, hey, raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. So there's our gal up there. Isn't she cute? Putting all that face cream. You know, we women, we do a lot of things in the name of trying to look younger. We live in a society where looking younger, feeling younger, being younger, acting younger, more youthful. It's actually a billion dollar industry. And so if I told you there was a, you know, like a sure-fired way that you could look younger and it wouldn't cost you a dime and cost, would you love it? I bet you would. But before I share that answer with you, I want to do something and I want you to indulge me. It's gonna take you back to when you were in school and you had to role play. But really quickly, 
I want you to turn around to the people that you're sitting with. I want you to smile at them. I, we're going to do what I did with my husband, that little exercise. I don't care if it's a sweet, small grin, a goofy grin, crush your eyeball grin, be fun, but I want you to really quickly smile at each other. All right. Thanks. Thanks for playing along. I bet you felt as, as stupid maybe as my husband did. But anyway, how many of you felt anything different when you did that? Okay, a few of you felt different. All righty. Well, if you didn't feel anything, it's okay not to worry. But I want you to know this. This is where the medical side comes in. That actually there is a chemical response that occurs in your brain when you smile, a smile flashes across your face, there is a feel-good party blowing up in your brain. These are neurotransmitters that are being released, and maybe you're familiar with them. They're dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. And so although you may not personally feel that anything is better, there is something going on. Radiance MD um, in 2011 conducted a research study and they showed pictures of a woman smiling, a woman with just a neutral look, and then one frowning. And I want to know, would, would it surprise you if I told you they had a panel of people and they asked them, what did they think of each of those pictures? The majority of the panel of people said that the woman who was smiling, or the people in the pictures that were smiling, looked two years younger than they actually were. And in contrast, the, the people who were frowning appeared older and more haggard. And that's what the research bared out. I'm not making that up. So the research indicated this. When you smile, you're better looking. You're viewed as attractive, approachable, reliable, relaxed, and sincere. And women, who doesn't want to be those things? And actually, when you smile, especially to other people, they'll treat you differently. So I have a challenge for you, an application. Marianne always has an application for her, so I want to sh throw one out to you guys, is that I want you to go out this holiday season, put a smile on your face, even when you think you can't. And I want you to take inventory about how people are treating you, the kind of responses you get from your family and your friends, and just see the difference and you know what? I guarantee you this, that when you do that, there's just not going to be something how people treat you different, but there's going to be a transformation of your heart. Now, the answer to my question, how would you, what would you like to do if I could let you be younger without pain or free? And I think you know the answer. It's just smile. Famous people have said things about smiling. Marilyn Monroe, she was that blonde bombshell of the late 1950s and 60s, and she said this about a smile. A smile is the best makeup a girl can wear. And we're all ladies, and I think that's pretty true. Mother Teresa said this, be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, and kindness in your smile. And finally, there's a Chinese proverb, and it says this, use your smile to change the world. 
Don't let the world change your smile. Now, I'd say on the surface, all of those things that people said, those quotes, they're all really great. I don't think any of us could argue with those. But I did notice when I was researching this that none of them tell you where that smile comes from. And I'm going to tell you that we do have the answer. And you know what? It's not a Chinese proverb. It's actually a biblical proverb. And it's found in the Bible. And in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 15, 13, it says this, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. And that's a smile, you guys. But a heartache crushes the spirit. And then the next one is Proverbs 15, 30. And it says this, a cheerful look, meaning your smile, brings joy to the heart and gives good news to the bones. And I believe that God makes a really big distinction here, ladies, that your heart or your heart and your mouth are interconnected by the vital lifeline. If your heart's happy, you're going to smile. If you smile, you're going to make your heart happy and have joy. And then Proverbs 17, 22 goes on just a little bit further. And it says that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I don't know, are some of you here today feeling a little zapped, a little let down, crushed? Your energy just isn't there and you're sad? As a nurse, I would say, well, why not try some of God's good medicine? And those are his promises. They're free of charge. They can't be, you don't need a doctor's prescription and they're found in scripture. And just in order to give you guys a little encouragement, and you wonder what are promises, like I said, you can look them up in the Bible or you can go Google search them, but I picked out four that I wanted to share with you. The first one is P, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all of your anxiety on him. He cares for you. I don't know if any of you saw the Time Magazine cover years ago about how we are a society riddled with anxiety. And you know what? Some of that, if you just cast it on, God wants to take your burdens. He cares for you, and he wants that from you. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to be troubled or be afraid. And then Jeremiah 29, 1 says, this is one of my all-time favorites, and I count on it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Every one of you here, God has a plan and a hope for your life. And I believe that joy is part of his plan in your life. Then there's Psalms 50, or excuse me, um, I think it's John 16, 33. I took the other one out. Um, it says this, and this is the Amplified Version, gals. It says, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's going to be hard, gals. There's going to be distress in your life, and you're going to suffer. We all will in this lifetime. But he says, be courageous. Be of good cheer. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy, for I have overcome the world. So this morning... I've shared with you how smiling can affect your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. 
And maybe yet some of you are wondering, how do I get that Holy Spirit joy in any circumstance attitude in my life? And you wouldn't be alone. I think God knew that it was going to be the part of the condition of the human heart that we just don't know how to get joy in our life. But you know what? God is so kind that he actually tells us how to do it. In Mark 11, 22 to 24, I'm going to read it. It's not on a PowerPoint. Just listen to this. He says, Jesus says this, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what it says will come to pass will be done for him. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it is yours. So the bottom line, ladies, Jesus expects us to ask. And he actually expects us to ask him, not our husbands, not our friends, our moms, our, you know, acquaintances. No, he wants us to ask him. They can't give you joy. They can give you that Webster Dictionary temporal joy, but they can't give you God's joy. Only God can do that. So I have a question for you gals. I want you to ponder as you leave here a little bit is that have you asked for Holy Spirit joy? Or are you just waiting for the world to hand it to you? And if you haven't haven't asked for it, I would encourage you to follow what he says in Mark to pray, believe, and receive. God placed this message on my heart, as I said, two years ago, but just now opened up the door for this opportunity for me to share it. And I think his timing is perfect as we enter into the Christmas season. And I know at the beginning of the message, I said to you gals, you know what? Um, I try not, or I'm trying really hard not to give unsolicited advice. But frankly, I just can't help myself. It just comes too naturally. And uh, as a wife and a mother, a friend, and a former full-time employee, I understand where you all are in, as we enter in the Christmas season. I know many here are really starting to feel stress and anxiety about the Christmas season because it adds so much more to your already busy lives. So I have a little piece of advice, and you're going to say, well, that's kind of whatever. But I'd say this as a seasoned mother, somebody who has tried to do every bit of Christmas to make it happy for everybody, I would say keep it simple. You know, God does not require that your house be lit up like a runway, okay? You don't have to have every bit of lights on it. It doesn't have to be a runway strip. Your kitchen does not have to smell of fresh baked cookies all month long. You know, there doesn't have to be a certain quota of gifts underneath the tree. You know, the world wants us to believe that those things matter. But in the end, what do they do for us? They lead to exhaustion, short tempers, and feeling joylessness. I got to tell you, this wasn't in my speech, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's kind of an impromptu. It just came in my brain. But um, that at Thanksgiving time, we were at relative's house. And the next day on Friday, we went shopping and my son, Alex, and his wife were there. And when we said they, we were out in the country and there's this little country 
place at all Christmas decorations and we're all looking around and Alex starts laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? He goes, oh mom, this is you. And he shows me his phone and there's a picture and it's cut in half. And the top of the picture is this Tyrannosaurus going, <laughs> and it says, mom, the, you know, uh, making Thanksgiving. And the picture below is this little thing going, mom, when the guests arrive. <laughs> and I, I, I laughed. I said, yeah, I remember those days, you know, getting everything together. So it does lead to exhaustion, short tempers. And sometimes your children actually remember it. Believe you me, they do remember it. So the joy that God offers is not tied to how well you ladies pull off Christmas. It's not tied to our circumstances or if another person in our life changes. It has our, our, the joy that we get that God offers is never tied to the storms of your life. In fact, I've had a lot of storms and I'm here to tell you that God uses those storms to really develop you, to groom you, to grow you. Invite them in and welcome in. They're not all that bad, ladies. So biblical joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. It provides that inner peace that, and contentment regardless of your circumstances. And please hear this, that biblical joy, the joy that God wants you to have, is solely tied to his unchanging promises. So as I close my message out, really God's message, and you walk out of the warmth of this building in God's home and into the world, remember that joy that we've been talking about, God's choice, is a choice. It's not something that is just going to land in your lap with any effort on your behalf. You have to choose it. You know, there's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think you can't. Smile, get up and dance. Smile, there's a bigger plan. You, sweet ladies, have a reason to smile. Thank you.